Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature Bohemian multimedia textile artist, Gio Swaby. Her practice is an exploratory celebration of blackness and womanhood. Her work centers on black joy as a radical act of resistance. It works through philosophy of love as liberation and explores pathways of healing and empowerment. It allows space for both the strong and soft to coexist. Gio has participated in major art fairs with 154 in London and Untitled Art in Miami. Her work is included in several collections, the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, Minneapolis Institute of Art, and the Art Institute of Chicago, to name just a few. She has been featured in several publications, which include Harper's Bazaar, New York Times, Chicago Sun-Times, Artnet, Vogue, and others. Gio Swaby currently resides in Toronto, Canada. Please enjoy this episode featuring Gio Swaby. Gio, welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. When did you discover your artistic passion? Oh, um, that's a hard, that's a bit of a hard question to answer because I'm not really sure if it was a discovery more so than like um, being born in this way of just I've, I feel like I've always been a maker in that sense, but I guess like a formal discovery of it, of when I started to get the idea that I might be an artist or that might be my career path was when I first started studying art in college at the uh, University of the Bahamas. Can you recall if there was an artist or a particular work of art that influenced you? In becoming an artist or, or wanting to study art, I think I didn't have a lot of what we think of like conventional art influences just because growing up in the Bahamas, I didn't really have a lot of exposures to art museums and galleries. Um, I'm, I'm not from a, a really artistic or, or a family that's really into the arts before, <laughs> before I started into it. So I took a lot of inspiration from books, from animations, like shows, I was really, really into like watching a lot of like the the Powerpuff Girls was a really big um, influence for me, I think, because I watched those shows and I was thinking like, how can I create my own unique style of art and drawing? And um, it was based on starting with like copying those, that style and then trying to develop my own from it. So I think I really started to, like grab on to this idea of being an artist from from those sources 
And then later on in college, when I started being becoming more exposed to different artists, some of the early influences for me were a lot of Bahamian artists who were like, you know, who were really in my community and whose works I could see up close. A few of them were uh, Lillian Blades was one. She's been huge in her use of color and pattern, as well as um, a lot of my professors at the University of the Bahamas, Sue Bennett-Williams, Heino Schmidt, and John Cox. How would you define your practice? When I think about my art practice, it's so connected to my life, which makes it a bit hard to define. I, I would say at its core, my practice is celebration of Blackness and womanhood. That's the energy that I draw upon when I'm making my works. When I'm photographing the people represented in my works, it's really an exploration of how I can celebrate them through the art that I'm making, how we can form a deeper connection with one another, how I can honor them through my work and through my practice, and also how I can have those same moments for myself as well. So I think at its very core, that's what the work is. And when we think about like material, that's another area where it becomes a little bit complicated. I work with textiles and portraiture, but the way that I use textiles makes it, it, it defies a bit of uh, categorization in a sense. So I want to be able to honor kind of all of the things that my practice encompasses. As you're creating, do memories influence particular body of work? Memories are a big part of my artwork. I draw upon my own personal memories, my personal history in creating some of my works, especially my self-portraits. I think about different themes, different colors, different patterns that have been important in my life. And I draw upon those in creating some of the self-portraits that I make. And then for the people that I'm representing, a big component of my work is beginning with a conversation with them. It's informal, but it's a bit like an interview where I ask them a lot of questions and we really talk about everything. From that interview process, I get a sense of them. Most of the people I represent are my friends and family, so I know them pretty well. But I feel that with this intentional connection, I get a new kind of sense of them. They share some different memories with me, things that they have learned. And I draw upon that feeling, like those memories in, in creating that person's portrait. What inspired you to conduct the interviews? I wanted to create a practice that was full of authenticity and intention. I mentioned earlier how like my how my work and practice are so intertwined with my life. And I feel like my life, I've been on a journey of kind of redefining love in my life, learning new ways to kind of unlock and express love to people around me and to myself. And I was creating these portraits and it just made sense to me to want to kind of further this connection with the person that I I'm representing by speaking to them. I feel that the essence of that conversation, like that energy is, is really carried through to, to this final like physical portrait that's created. And when do the titles of your work enter the process? Titles for me are almost always last. It's very, very rare that I come up with a title before I finish making the work. And when I do, it's often changed at the end. 
it's kind of like the work revealing to me a little bit of what it wants to be. And I think I do a bit of a backtracking process of how this was made and the, and I think about the full process, like how I got from the beginning point straight to the end. And I try to figure out like what title or like phrase or name could encapsulate this. So titles can be a little bit stressful for me because I put a lot of like, I I put a a strong importance on them, but uh, normally I have a thing where they will just end up coming to me, which feels really lucky and amazing. And then when I, when they don't come to me, I do a lot of reading I go back and read what I've maybe written about this work and the title is often somewhere in there. And do you listen to music while you're working? I do. I listen to a lot of music when I'm working. I try to go with the mood of whatever is like happening at that time. So, um, I mean, Beyonce is always like, Beyonce is huge in my studio. Of course, I love Solange. Um, I listen to a lot of like throwback 90s music, 80s music even. Depends on the mood, right? But I listen to a lot of podcasts as well and audiobooks, depending on the task and like how much kind of attention I can give to the audio that I'm listening to. When you walk into your studio and you, you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to start a new work. What overcomes you? How do you feel? anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit of anxiety, but I'm normally really excited to start a new work. I feel like the part of my practice that feels the most for me is this process of making. So I don't continue in works that feel like I'm not going to make more of something just because people have responded well to it. If it feels like I've completed the exploration in that area. I want to keep this part of it really fresh and exciting for me. And that doesn't mean I don't spend a lot of time or like have a series of work that carries on for a long time. That can still remain an interesting process for me to explore. But I'm I'm normally really excited to start new works. I feel like a new energy into the studio when I'm starting a new piece. But there's always like the anxiety of like, how is it going to turn out and what's going to happen to it? So I guess over the years, I've just had to learn to embrace that and um, to kind of welcome this potential of failure as a part of the learning process. And how do you keep learning? I feel like I consider myself, you know, I'm, I'm a lifelong student. I've studied in traditional ways through university. I just actually finished my master's degree. I just had my graduation June 17th. So congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. So I've done those traditional kind of routes of learning, but I stay open to knowledge. I read a lot um, and not just what we consider like to be these academic texts. I read a lot of different kinds of things, things maybe people consider to be like not super intellectual or cerebral, but I do get some inspiration from that kind of um, reading as well. I connect a lot and learn a lot through storytelling. So oral histories, being able to talk and share with people and have them share their stories with me. And then technique wise, I really embrace this kind of the way quilters have approached their lives in that if you meet a quilter, they have been learning for their whole life and they are always open to learning new techniques and 
redeveloping their techniques. And um, that's the kind of approach I take to my own practice as well. Have you ever thought about what career you would have pursued if you weren't an artist? <laughs> um, I mean, yes, of course I have. I only became like a, a full-time artist uh, last October. It hasn't, oh. it hasn't been that long. It hasn't been that long. So I have done like 1 million different kinds of jobs while I was also <laughs> doing my <laughs> art practice. But I guess I never felt like this is the direction I would fully pursue. I think maybe I would have went more toward like a social kind of science, maybe like psychology or something. I'm very much into writing and uh, critical and cultural theory. So I could see myself um, leaning into something like that, maybe teaching. And those things are, you know, still potential possibilities for later in life. You never know. How do you define Black art? Hmm. I mean, I can, the thing about Black art, I feel that it's undefinable because it's so undefinable as a general, in a general way, because it's so specific to the artist that's making it. So I can do what I consider to be um, Black art from my own perspective it is like a category or like a labeling of my work that I do embrace. I think that it involves explorations of Blackness in all forms and definitely made by Black artists. And this can be globally, anyone part of this diaspora of Black artists globally. What does your workplace look and feel like? Depends on what point in the process. The day it is. <laughs> <laughs> I think by nature, I am a bit of a messy person. Like I try to stay organized, but things tend to get out of control when I enter the space of like, sometimes I get into a space of like, okay, I know exactly what I want to do and how it has to be done. And everything else around me just kind of closes off. So in that way, I become a huge tornado and make a gigantic mess trying to like get to this point of like accomplishing this goal. But I clean up my studio pretty often. So I think more often than not, it's a pretty neat space because I'm working with fabrics. There's no food or drinks in the studio besides water. So it's a it ends up like naturally staying a, a fairly neat and um, clean studio space. Let's talk about your fabrics. Where do you source them? Where do you find them? All over. So I like to see the fabric in person. So I go to a lot of fabric stores. When I'm traveling, I'll visit a fabric store and bring things back with me to contribute to the ever-growing stash that I have. I shop a lot in the Bahamas because I travel there of anywhere else most frequently here in Toronto. And through the pandemic, when I couldn't shop in stores, I actually got into online sh shopping for fabrics, which was weird and very unsettling at first and not necessarily my preference. But it's a great way to find specific fabrics. Like if I'm looking for a fabric that has like a hummingbird motif, it's a great way to source fabrics like that when I know exactly what I'm looking for in the exact color rather than like trying to uh, sift through a store of hundreds and thousands of fabrics. 
I find it interesting that you envision exactly, you know, the fabric that you want to use with hummingbirds, for example. When do you get embraced by an idea like that? Mm, so it's not always that way. A lot of times I just will browse and allow the fabric to like kind of speak to me. If this is the one that wants to come home with me, then I take it. I I shop very intuitively in that way for fabrics, but sometimes I really do need a specific motif. And the way that that comes to me is I gave the example of the hummingbird because it's one that I most recently used in my self-portrait and one of my self-portraits. And that came from a story my uncle told me about my dad. Uh, my father passed away in 2016 and there were so many stories shared about him at that time. It was like getting to know him all over again. And my uncle told me a story of when they were kids and he was the only kid in his neighborhood that was fast enough to catch a hummingbird. And um, all the other kids really revered him for this talent and skill. And um, I just connected and loved that story so much. I wanted to tie it into my own self-portrait as a part of honoring my parents and um, also like paying tribute to my own like familial and personal histories. I'm glad I asked that question. It's a lovely story. What are you excited about now? What am I excited about now? There's so much to be excited about. It is summer. The sun is out. I'm excited to <laughs> go outside, explore the city, to do things like that. I'm so, so excited about my uh, exhibition that's open now. My first solo museum exhibition. Absolutely huge for me. It's such a huge milestone in my um, life and career. It's open at the Museum of Fine Arts in Petersburg in Florida, and it's open through October. I'm actually traveling there at the end of July for a kids workshop where they come for a week and they basically focus the workshop on an artist and create artworks around that, that artist practice. And it's me this year. So that's so, that's just massive to me. Um, so I'm, I, I can't wait for that. Earlier, you mentioned that you don't really focus so much on your audience. Do you feel the audience can understand your work? So I, I'll clarify what I meant. I do have a very strong focus on my audience. I don't necessarily want to structure my work and making around what I've seen people respond to best. I want to be able to trust myself in that process and know that there's still explorations that I have inside of me and ones that I want to bring out to be able to share with others. And um, there's this thing of like, if I kind of follow only what people respond to, then I would have never made the next, you know, great thing that I was going to make. But I have a strong focus on what I consider to be my primary audience, which is Black people, and specifically, or, or not specifically, but especially Black women and girls. So that's my guiding light of my practice. I think about that audience when I'm creating my work, when I'm thinking about how the work will be responded to, when I am I'm envisioning this moment of seeing them have this moment of seeing themselves reflected. And I would say those moments are like the driving force 
behind my work and practice. So I think that for Black women and girls, there are so many points of connection with this work. And I do feel that it can also be enjoyed by other audiences as well. There's beauty to be found in in this work. Certainly there's points of connection for, for a wider audience, but that's who I am especially and specifically considering when I'm making my work. I've really enjoyed this conversation. This is our final question. What do you feel is the purpose of art and, and what is your role as an artist? Thank you. I am enjoying this conversation as well. And great last question. My purpose and role as an artist and for my art is to, for me, I think about this quote by Toni Morrison, where she says, it's not the exact quote, but she says, I wrote the book that I didn't get to read. And for me in creating my artwork, that's where I'm approaching from. I think the power, the great, great power in art is that it can be from so many very specific and unique perspectives. And that's what I kind of bring to this conversation. I feel like that's what I uh, contribute my own unique perspective and my own kind of history and uh, the people that's around me in my life, my support system. I bring all of that energy into my practice and I want to share that with others. The thing that I hear the most Well, this is the feedback that I get the most from Black people seeing my work, that often they hadn't hadn't seen themselves represented in, in this way before. This maybe was the first time that they had the opportunity to see this kind of artwork. And that's such an honor to me to be a part of this conversation that's happening with um, so many of my peers as uh, Black artists, being able to uh, share and to create this space for other viewers and as well for this new generation of upcoming artists and makers. Thank you for what you do and for focusing on young women and women in general. I think that's fantastic. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. It's been such an honor to be here. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.